You're watching O2 and You. We just finished with Lynette Wendell. And now I am going to invite on our next guest, uh, Mrs. Fatima Deary, who is joining us. We tried to bring her on last week, but uh, we'll, we'll give it a, a second go. Fatima. Sounds great. Thanks, David. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fatima, there you are. O2 and you, we just finished with Lynette Wendell. And now I am going to invite on our next guest. Hey, Fatima, I'm getting a little feedback. Do you have, you wouldn't happen to have Facebook going, would you? Are you just on Zoom? Bring her on last Give me a second, week, I do, but, yes, uh, yes. Okay, yeah, maybe close that and we'll just be on Zoom and then we should avoid okay. that. Are we now, are we good? Yeah, there we go. Okay, we're gonna make it happen this time. Okay. Welcome back, I love the, the wallpaper. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you know, this reminds me of a long time ago when mm -hmm. I was a little kid. Uh, my favorite thing in the world was uh, a few different sporting teams, but I had, there was a particular sports program that I would watch religiously. And one day I decided I was going to call in. Mm -hmm. I made the mistake of having the TV on and making the call. Or <laughs> learned that sad lesson. So uh, yeah. anyway, Enough about that. Welcome. It's great to have you. Yes. Great to have you here. Let me just remind people you're watching or listening to O2 and You. It's a discussion series hosted by me, David Garbett, the executive director of O2 Utah. And we talk to candidates, we talk to elected officials, we talk to policy experts about um, elections, important environmental policy. And we're continuing our series now of interviewing candidates. Uh, these are specifically candidates that we have endorsed because we think that they are people who will help us move in the right direction on hosts of environmental issues, on air quality, on climate, on environmental justice, on uh, protection of public lands. And I'm really excited to have Fatima here with me today. We know we have, uh, I'll call them a cabal of uh, competitive candidates in the central part of the Salt Lake Valley. Um, Fatima is running for a seat in in West Valley. Fatima, again, welcome. Glad we've got these issues ironed out. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure um, having the opportunity to come on here and have canon conversation with you and just sort of get everyone to know more about the candidates that are running and ways people can contribute and support us um, mm -hmm. because it's not easy. As you know, you have run for office mm -hmm. yourself. And so the work is definitely complicated. <laughs> So you probably get this question frequently and people will yeah. say it half in jest and maybe half serious, you know, why would you do this to yourself? But um, why did you decide to run? So honestly, I look at the like, running for office, it sort of chose me. Like I've been asked, um, given my role, the various roles that I've had in the community as an advocate, as a leader. And so this is something that has always been whispered in my head that I'm always like, um, ignoring and or telling people like this is not the time I got better things to do um, but as I watch um, some of our local um, policies and local leaders and elected officials just sort of struggling to connect with the, um, the the regular community people like you know the everyday people um, so I sort of um, took that role and sort of worked with several individuals in the legislative and then I had a role to play at the city mayor's office, um, working with Mayor Jackie Boscusi's administration, 
um, I always thought there was a disconnect. And so um, finally, when I was approached again by a couple individuals to take a campaign course and sort of consider this year being the year that I throw my name out there and try to um, honestly be a better role model for many other young ladies that look like myself and sort mm -hmm. of bring diversity to the Utah state uh, politics. We are um, far overdue for that. And so it's like, um, I decided this is the time and I'll do whatever I can to become the um, candidate that gets elected that can bridge the gap that exists in our political um, arena. Uh, Fatima, I know that sometimes those those courses and this is probably the case for a number of people that think about running sometimes people come away from those courses and i think one of the, the most common reactions is how on earth am i going to raise that money oh. uh, what was i mean what did you think of the course how did you when I you mean, were considering yeah. this what did you leave what was your initial impression of running um initial impression of running i said this is um it's it's a lot of work it's um you need funds obviously you need campaign you need, um, you need experts, you need people who know what they're doing. And so when I took the course, it was sort of like, could I really do this? Is this something that I'm <laughs> out for? Yes, I am an organizer, a community advocate. I have the professionalism you know, background, but what, what will it take to run my own campaign, right? Um, mm -hmm. And finance was always in, in my echo. And it's like a lot of times you have to rely on your inner circle, your family, your um, relationships and networks. And so I just sort of like reevaluated myself as an individual. And I said, okay, how well are you known Fatima? How connected are you to Utah, to the community? And who's willing to um, really support you? If they say they're going to support you, are they reliable? Can you hold them accountable? And so once I start seeing that uh, trend from my own family members and seeing those um, funds coming in, then I start realizing that, okay, this can happen. It's a reality. So I need to take this serious. Um, and so I started getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of people who were interested in helping me build my campaign, helping me with logos. Um, some of them were pro bono. So that sort of gave me the hope that I can do this. Um, and obviously there are still challenges, there are still barriers in place, but um, I knew I don't come from a rich family that will, um, some of the people that were in the course, they were like, I'm going to put up 5,000 on my campaign. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't have that capability mm -hmm. of doing that. Um, I do work, I do support family back home as well. So it's like, I sort of took different measurements and sort of said, what, you know, how well could I make this work? And how much can I engage the community? And uh, also just sort of put myself out there. Again, funds is what runs a campaign. And um, yes, there are challenges, but we're also learning. And I learned that I could be a great fundraiser outside of just organizing and leadership and everything else that I could also raise funds. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I guess what I've walked away from it is that when you challenge yourself to doing the impossible, then anything is possible. You just have to be positive, be po optimistic about these things. <laughs> well, it's... Hey. I feel like, uh, especially after you run, it really, as you jump into it, it kind of demystifies something that I think, unfortunately for too many people seems to be, that's a role for someone else. You know, let someone else speak up for these issues. Let someone else get in there and try and change things. And unfortunately that's not how we drive change. No. Um, 
you can somebody's got to step, step up and do it and and you know in some ways i think your story is very common this idea of, i have no idea what i'm doing who i who do i need to find to help me that's a you know i sometimes too i think candidates running for the first time that's great because you come in with an open mind with new ideas and you haven't um you haven't been through that grind yet and, and this is a great thing and then in other ways you're very unique and you know it's great having you on here because i think man here is somebody who represents what i think many people in this country aspire us to be the kind of place that a girl could grow up in somalia end up here and be running for uh, the legislature to really to make significant decisions about the direction of our community. I mean, I think most Americans would say this is the kind of country we want, even if in practice that doesn't always play out. So um, really inspiring story um, that you are doing this. Maybe tell us how you got to this point. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I'm originally from Somalia. Um, my family had to, um, you know, migrate from Somalia because of the civil war. I mean, I, besides the civil war before that, Somalia was a peaceful country. The narrative that you always wanna hear is like, how, um, how struggling and how complicated is Somalia? Can you survive? But really, I didn't get that opportunity to really see that side of Somalia. I was a child, I was five years mm -hmm. old um, when the war started. And so we were privileged and had the option to actually flee because my family had little businesses in Kenya. And so half of the family got to, um, moved to Kenya, the other half were left. They had to make a choice who was the half that were gonna go, which half was gonna stay. And so I was part of the half that got to go to Kenya. And then we sort of learned about the refugee process. And um, that took about several years um, before we learned where we were gonna be uh, resettled to, whether it was gonna be Europe or Canada or Australia or the United States. Um, so we were told like in 1997, I think is when we arrived in Utah, um, we were told we were going to be resettled in Utah. We had no idea where Utah was or mm -hmm. Salt Lake City on the map, any of that. Um, I, at the time, I knew a little how to write English, like the basics. Um, didn't speak any English. So coming to Utah, getting thrown into the education system, starting off in third grade and um, uh. having to, as a child, you get to learning a language proficiency is a lot faster than, you know, adults. And so I think it took us about six months to become very uh, proficient in the English language and sort of understand how to navigate and um, sometimes even manipulate our parents because they didn't know the, the school rules and the school tactics. Um, so just coming here, adopting and sort of not um, early on, we were always told we need to assimilate. And I sort of didn't understand the terminologies between assimilate, acculturate um, and mm -hmm integrate, but as I grew up and sort of went through the various um, transition of school from, you know, elementary to middle school to high school, um, I sort of understood like, I didn't need to assimilate, my family didn't need to assimilate, we just needed to learn how to adopt and sort of maintain our heritage, maintain our culture, our identity, while we integrate, while we um, while I was making American friends, I went to a school, or I lived in a community that's very diverse, I grew up in Rose Park, um, mm -hmm. I went to West High School, and so in my mm -hmm. neighborhood, all my friends, I had Mormon friends, I had Latina friends, I had uh, African friends, African American, so it didn't really, um, uh, really hit me until I sort of got to my adulthood that race and everything else was sort of like West versus East, um, mm -hmm. 
that I learned that like when I got to college and it was like, oh my goodness, we do have a real challenge in the state of Utah. Um, busing was one of the things that I just sort of learned that we had to take several buses to get to West High versus some students where they were, you know, um, they were so close to where they had school bus picking them up. Um, some are just like, you know, disenfranchised um, things that we don't think about that affect communities um, growing up. But um, lucky enough, I sort of overcame all those challenges and um, I got uh, my education degree from, I started off at Salt Lake Community College. I got a, a associate's degree and then I transferred to the U. I got a bachelor's degree. Um, and then a year later, I took a, a break and then I applied for grad school and I got a master's degree in social work with an emphasis of international studies. Um, while I did my schooling, I was working in the community um, for a nonprofit organization, um, which served my, uh, a lot of migrants and refugees and immigrants. Um, so through that, I sort of knew that I wanted to do this humanitarian work and sort of find a way to help community members who are suffering, community members who don't have a way to succeed, um, find a way, give them some hope, give them some, um, some uh, time to sort of um, adopt and learn and sort of help them navigate the things that they're struggling with. Yeah, are there some, speaking of that issue, are there some specific things that you'd like to, uh, when you win, accomplish, uh, work do in the legislature to actually make those differences for people that are going through that same story that you just told yeah, us about? Certainly. I think, I mean, first and foremost, I think we need to have programs that offer options for parents who um, English is their second language. Um, you need to have more alternative routes for students who are um, working with, you know, with, who come from single parents' homes, right? They're mm -hmm. having to go to work and still go to school and try to um, uh, succeed at the same time, we need to um, have more flexibility in our education system, as well as our healthcare system. You just look at the various system is like, what ways are we making these spaces and these institutions more welcoming, more inclusive, and how are we uh, putting policies and um, procedures that sort of uh, help families, um, help families to uh, succeed, help families to develop and become who they want to become because at the same we a lot of times people are struggling people have a lot of challenges and so how do we connect with those individuals we mm -hmm. need to um, invite the leaders we need to listen to the leaders allow them to tell their stories rather than as a legislative body we make these decisions and then we try to tell the people this is what you need to do this is the law and so how do we translate those laws and policies that we're making into the common language that people understand and speak. Mm -hmm. okay. That's what I would hope to do and accomplish when I get elected. What are you hearing in your, what, tell us about what else you're hearing in your district as you go out and, and talk to voters. What are key issues for people? Um, yeah, so we, I know that um, living in West, uh, in West Valley, I moved out there when I was about 14. Um, so I had to um, use public transportation myself to get to my high school because I didn't want to switch. I wanted to graduate with my same classes. And so um, I know that UTA is uh, something that we need to, we, a lot of time we hear public transportation and how transportation system in, the, in this district um, is uh, a lot of the community members who live in this district, they utilize transportation twi at twice the rate as the state average. And so mm -hmm. I think it would, be, it would make sense if we, if we connect with UTA to make more equitable 
public transportation. We increase um, some of the um, the availability of routes. We increase um, the we expand the public transportation as well as the ridership program. Um, we just need to have better lines of uh, communication. And so I think that's one of the things that we hear from our community. And then in terms of cleaner environment, in terms of how the environment affects our community here in the West Side community, um, I think about equity again. Um, you think about COVID-19 and how that has hit um, communities of color um, a lot more than we was expected, it sort of has highlighted why it's so important to look at everything through the lens of equity. And so um, I think it's important that we um, have environmental issues evaluated in the lens of, um, of economic healthcare, in, in the lens of equity and sort of how does that connect to the experiences that people who live in this community um, was sort of, um, what are their struggles and how do we make sure that these struggles are um, measured through the lens of equity? Can you talk a little bit more about equity? Because it's my sense when I talk to, been doing a lot of outreach with voters, uh, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people that I think probably would be supportive, don't always know what that means in terms of concrete action. I feel like I heard from you definitely one thing um, as it related to, you know, public transportation and the way we move people around. And actually in my interview before, uh, before you joined with Lynette, she talked about how the state you know, has really designed transportation to move cars. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do if you are someone who can't afford a car or if you are young and you're trying to go to school and you, know, you live in a community where you have a lot of uninviting roads that, and it's not safe to walk or you need to go a, a farther distance thinking about you know, instead of investing all of our money into a system that requires people to make a pretty initial, a large initial investment, like a car, you have a system that allows people who don't have um, those same resources to get around. What do you think are other things where specific state policy is driving, you know, these different outcomes or we're not investing in our communities in the same way? Yeah, I think, I mean, first and foremost, we need to, um, evaluate, do we understand these issues in the lens of equity? So when you say define what does equity really mean in these communities is they're not, oftentimes they're not thinking about um, the government, they're not thinking about policy, they're thinking about their day-to-day -day operation. How do they um, make you know ends meet? How do they um, uh, put another meal at the table? And so um, when we provide um, resources and opportunities um, to communities that are oftentimes suffering, that are oftentimes many of our elected officials are not on the ground and seeing the work, um, we have to take ourselves into those roles. We have to step into those communities and listen to them and sort of get to know them in their environment. We can't expect them to show up at a, a government city hall and or show up at the state capitol and advocate on bills and policies that affect them um, because they have their own um, complication and challenges that they're trying to um, live by. And so I think that's the missing ingredient there. If you ask me is that oftentimes when you look at um, politics or you know the political system and when you see organizations and advocates who are um, when it comes to the legislation, you know the 45 days legislative session, a lot of the people that you see up going up to the state capitol and fighting or advocating on specific uh, policies and issues that affect them is people who can make those types of decisions. 
and your regular day and day, you know, your regular community members, um, the mother who's working two two jobs um, at odd hours, to be it's there. impossible to, for right. her to show up and say, look, my child is suffering in the education system. I am suffering. I can't, um, the bus lines are not available for me that I should have. And so listening to those stories, I think will give um, these legislative bodies a better, uh, in terms of making these decision more inclusive and more equitable to the community. The, you know, this is something, this actually, part of this issue reminds me a bit of air quality because um, some of what I heard you say was that a, an important part of equity is listening. Yes finding out what problems people face and then using government to solve that. Right. And uh, Lynette and I talked about this on air quality in particular. I feel like this is an issue where the legislature doesn't, one of the fundamental problems is that they don't recognize government as a vehicle to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. So we have something we know is causing and is particularly impacting our minority communities, our low-income communities, because they tend to be located um, along our interstate highways where we have concentrations of pollution. I know in Salt Lake City, we've got um, our uh, refinery, we have our uh, power plant, we have a lot of our major sources of pollution on the west side. And if, it, if you start these issues by by saying, you know, sorry, if you right. if you want your kids to be able to breathe, you don't want them to get asthma. I don't know. I don't know what to do for you. Um, it's it is, and it's so frustrating. Um, but it, it it can also feel like, like you said, how do you engage? So how do you engage people who maybe are feeling a little bit like government's not working for me? I I perceive from the legislature that they're not there to solve my problems. In fact. On occasion, when we as a people speak together and say, here's what we want to happen, like with propositions two, three, and four mm -hmm. um, in 2018, and the legislature overturns that, like they've gotten the message, you know, we don't care that much what you say, we've got our own ideas, and we're not here to solve problems for you. How can you help those voters engage? Because a lot of people that will step back from participating, um, it's unfortunate that those are people that you want to engage, you want to participate. And, and if they want someone in there who's willing to engage with the community, we need them to vote. So how do you, sorry, I'm, I'm going uh, no, that, that's How do you do that? Um, I think it's, uh, it's important, like I said, you have to sort of bring awareness to these issues and communicate it um, to leaders and organizations and places where normally these information is not shared, is not brought um, on board. So some of the things that I have done personally is I've gone into religious institution and uh, I've done my own like focus groups to sort of um, let people know um, how does certain things that are being brought forth going to affect them. So when the food tax, uh, for instance, was brought mm -hmm. up, it was going to um, be decided, I said, look, if you guys don't come out and sign this petition and um, you don't uh, speak up to this issue, then tomorrow you're going to be you know, wondering why you can't afford this food anymore, why you can't feed your families three meals versus two meals. Um, so we have to have conversation outside of the normal, you know, um, uh, nine to five 
You have to make mm. yourself available weekends. You have to be, you, as a leader, I made my cell phone um, answer at, at any hour of the day for people <laughs> who had questions. And I said, you know what? This is important to me. I want to make sure that this bill does not pass and this is not voted on. And my regular, the communities who are going to be affected are marginalized communities. And so um, I sort of took that issue upon myself and I said, I'm gonna go out there weekends, nights, it doesn't matter what time of the day until we, I make every individual in my community understand um, how important this is. Mind you, not everyone is gonna be uh, willing to do to do that, not everyone has the capacity to do that, but um, there are people, there are community members who care enough about various um, organ communities, various um, organizations that do this work already. So collaboration is one of the things that I have learned to be very useful and very important is if you can collaborate, if you can um, network with people in the community who are already doing the work. So you're not replicating, you're not redoing this work. Um, so when you provide awareness and education, that's one of the ways to um, really engage communities um, outside of just listening, outside of making yourself available to them. When they see you out there, they see you in the community, they see you really showing, being transparent with them, then it's um, equivalent to them putting their trust and their vote. And um, they will contact you with any concerns or problems that they do have. Um, so when they read up upon an issue that they see come out in the news, they will call you to verify whether or not that information is to be trusted, whether or not um, is something that they um, should um, get behind and support. So it, it, it comes about down to communication, awareness, education um, as the way to connect to regular day-to-day -day people that we don't normally you know, think about. Mm -hmm. Um, that's uh i'm impressed you're getting out there you're doing the hard work it is uh and how is the campaign going generally um it's going really well uh, my uh going forward and running for office i've always used to be a little bit skeptical is like how far can i go how can i you know inspire others in my community to look up to me and so it's sort of become um this fun way of running a campaign is sort of engaging and people know that I'm running, people know that I am doing whatever I can to speak, to bring the voices of the, you know, the community members who don't often have a voice in these public spaces. Um, and so I'm learning a lot, but I'm also um, inspiring everyone else to come on board and uh, really consider the possibility of running, the possibility of seeing themselves in these uh, spaces and different arena. I mean, one of the reasons why I think it's important for people of color to, or not just people of color, people in general, women, um, to be present and to listen and to also speak up. Um, oftentimes, decisions or conversations are being um, are being made on our behalf, and so. When we're not there, we can't blame anybody. And so that's one of the things that I'm learning is um, it, as an, uh, when I become an elected official, how can I um, get other young people, um, other individuals, women, people of color to get themselves to run for school board, run for city council? Um, because once we have various perspectives presented, then we can solve a lot of these issues. And when we talk about the environmental crisis that we're having currently, people don't see environment as a the climate is changing and uh, 
we just saw what happened in Utah two weeks ago with the storm, what's happening in California, um, in different parts of the world where, you know, um, we're seeing, we're going to see more and more global crisis um, around environmental. And so we need to come to the table and have canon conversation and um, decide what we do today will affect our future generation. Yeah. And I, you know, this is something I'm glad you brought that up, the, the showing up mm-hmm. um, and this connecting it to big issues, because part of what we want people to understand and what, you know, why O2 Utah exists is because, yeah, I've been very sad to see what's happening in California and shocking to me as I've looked at the research that it is climate that is driving these fires and the extent to which they're happening, changes in climate in California. Um, and it's easy to sit around and feel depressed and feel like there's nothing we can do. But, you know, I, I would say an antidote to that. And actually, if we're going to change, it is to show up and volunteer right. and to help and to donate. And people need to make connect those dots. So while they're thinking about getting into their own races, in the meantime, we need them to show up for you. Mm-hmm. because this is how we make changes on climate. You know, I want to talk about just, just quickly, this is how we make changes on air quality. Your opponent voted to, instead of take action to improve our air quality, voted to subsidize dirty refineries. Your opponent voted um, to ask President Trump to rescind Bears Ears National Monument. So, so many of these policy decisions that are, you know, easy to get depressed about, the time, the key time to make that difference is now and it's showing up and helping someone like you. So people that want to get involved and they want to help you, where, where can they go? How do they do it? Yeah, certainly. Um, like you, I mean, I agree with you showing up and get educated, get informed. And so people can visit our website, www.votefatima.com. Um, we would love for you to sign up as a volunteer, help us do some phone banking, um, go out and canvas with us on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Saturdays, um, we have several other uh, unique events that are going to be coming up on the pipeline. So um, we'll be posting those events on our main page, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then obviously, if you're unable to do any of those things, um, you can donate. And so because these funds will help us um, with some of the costs that we have to put up with digital ads with uh, paying some of our staffers. And so any small contribution, we've done a lot of grassroots in our fundraising. And so it speaks volume. I know a lot of people, I mean, young people, they wanna help, they wanna get involved in making our environment better. And so what do they do? They can organize their own community. They can organize their friends. They can ask their teachers to support candidates, um, their family members. And so if you as an individual are unable because you can't financially contribute, or you can't financially, you can't show up, then do the opposite. Contact people who, who do have the means to do um, what it takes to support candidates. Fatima, thank you so much. It's great having you on. I really appreciate it. Uh, you shared your website with people. Please go to Fatima's website so that we can get her the support that she needs. And I'm going to put in this little plug for phone banking since I've been doing a lot of it lately. Anybody can phone bank. Trust me, if I can make phone bank calls with a three-year-old screaming literally right behind me here, uh, anybody can do it. You know, and actually it works really well for phone banking because people get a call with some baby crying in the background and they realize like, okay, this is a real human being. I can have a conversation. Yes. And I see you got got a little um, at the end, your little one showed up. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, 
let's get people out. Let's get them to help you again. Thank you so much, Fatima. And I'm just going to also say thank you for listening. This is another episode of O2 in Utah, or sorry, O2 in U, hosted by O2 Utah. To learn more about us, go to our website, O2Utah.org. Again, O2Utah.org. Fatima, thank, thank you. So much, David. Talk Goodbye, to you. everyone. Thanks.